So hi everyone, um, very excited. We have our first episode of uh, already the third series of uh, Getting It Right, the brand strategy podcast. And as many of our listeners know, we try to explore interesting, innovative, new brand topics. And on each show, we have uh, one or two really inspiring guests. Today, uh, the topic is, uh, is, is, is we're trying to talk with our guest uh, on a different take on managing uh, the strength of your brand and comparing it vis-a-vis your competition. And instead of a more traditional static brand measurement, we will talk into our guest about making a case for a more dynamic brand view, which is especially interesting in today's volatile market. So that's the topic. Um, my name is uh, Dauer Rademaker. I'm the global brand strategist at Ipsos. Um, I'm dialing in from Amsterdam and I'm here with my friend, my co-host, Fellow brand strategist Chris Murphy, as usual, from his hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, very happy today. Thanks, Dawa. Glad yeah. to be Yeah. Good. I just, just as an introduction, because I always try to start with an interesting uh, introduction. I read an article and I thought it was kind of interesting because we're all talking about uh, the need for speed, agility and change and fast. Uh, but this was an article that uh, was written by a chef um, from the Netherlands. Her name was Sheila Struik. And she wrote and made a link between being a chef. Uh, this was in the Financial Times, uh, this uh, this article. Um, she made a link between being a chef and, and managing businesses. And she said, as a chef, she knows the importance of time and waiting and taking your time when you make a great meal, right? You know, don't speed up the process. Sometimes the longer you take, the better the meal is. The art of time in, in uh, for a chef. And, and then she made an argument that in business, maybe there's also value in taking more time before you make big decisions. Listen to people, getting people on board, preparing um, for meetings. And having spent time in Japan, where it's also important to take your time to prepare people before meetings. I thought it was an interesting concept. What do you think, uh, Chris? Is that an idea like slow branding as a topic for one of our next podcasts? Ooh, sl- slow branding. Hmm. <laughs> I think our Mr. Shit might fall a bit. <laughs> you know, I, I realized the, uh, uh, the, the the title of our podcast is is getting it right. So I say this with some hypocrisy, but I'm afraid I might get a little bit impatient in one of Sheila's restaurants. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. No, uh, I, I like food, food for preparing. thought, as you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, always a great idea to be super prepared for, uh, for, for meetings and to get everybody on board. But uh, yes, these things do have to happen at speed um, in, in today's business world. Um, so. Hi, everyone. So as Dawa already uh, hinted in our introduction, we've got a pair of really cool guests uh, for today's podcast, Oscar Yuan and Josh Samuel. Um, Oscar's been with us before. Um, he is our, our global leader and CEO of our Ipsos Consultancy Business Strategy 3. Um, you might recall uh, that uh, he visited with us uh, a couple of months ago to talk about uh, disruption in the automotive market. And as is often the case, we ended up on a tangent talking about chasing dogs around the office. So um, Oscar, uh, a New York resident, has a true passion for fast food, or at least so I'm told. Oscar, <laughs> what is your favorite fast food of choice these days? <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. There's so many to choose from. Um, from, a, from a business perspective, I've always thought, and I, and I increasingly think how amazing McDonald's is as a franchise and a business. It's just there's 40,000 restaurants around the world and they're, they're constantly rolling out new things. And the ability to do that is really, really powerful. 
Now, I, I think what the other interesting thing that's happened that I, I really love is the idea that, you know, fast food for a long time meant bad food. And there's a lot of new things that have come up, especially through COVID, that are fast and good. And a lot of them are kind of some of the ethnic restaurants. There's a new fast Indian restaurant near my house. Um, there's fast Vietnamese. And it's just uh, it's moving so I guess quickly, but that, that it's such an interesting space to be happening, especially in this world where, although I would probably love to sit in Sheila's restaurant, I'm with you, Chris. There's so many options that can happen very quickly these days. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Oscar, I remember when I lived in New York, they had this vegan fast food place. Yeah. That and was really good. I think it's just so interesting that, you know, yes, traditional you know, think, thinking dictates that, you know, the more time you spend on something, the better. I think there's that's true as well. But increasingly, we're seeing um, you can make great things with speed as well. So very good. Very good. So, Oscar, on that McDonald's menu, what's your very favorite item? I, I am kind of a random off-piste person that I, I love the filet fish There we <laughs> go. Not, not their traditional, what they're known for, but something <laughs> about the tartar sauce and that little slice of cheese that, that worked together well. It's, hey, it's it's been around since I was a child. I love that one, too. That's a good choice. Josh Samuel, uh, he, he's new to our podcast. He is the uh, chief analytics officer uh, in our brand tracking division. And, and so, uh, Josh, you're going to get the same question, brother. What, what What's your favorite fast food, sir? Hey Chris, yeah, lovely to be here. Well, I I love Indian food, so I I want to try the place around the corner from from Oscar. Oh, I want to try that that Indian fast food. Um, I, I well, I mean, the one thing when I prepare Indian food, it's definitely not fast. It's unbelievable. It takes ages. Um, but I think that's true to the philosophy of your chef, right, Dower? Must be. Exactly. I must be doing something right. Taking exactly. so long. Very okay. good. All right, let's 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 move to the real content and uh, start with a question that is slightly bigger than the one. What's your favorite fast food, Oscar? Is uh, as uh, as consumers, would you say that brands still matter? Ooh, it's a and they're giving me all the hard ones today. So I know. I'll start. I'll start really <laughs> wide, and then we'll start focusing in. Right. As someone who leads the brand consultancy, you, you kind of have to say brands matter, right? Um, I I think brands do, and they they will always matter. But I think the shift is that we need to be realistic and say, you know, not all brands in all categories matter, right? And I think the the new discourse around this is really understanding where brands stick out and where brands matter, and where where they serve as a signpost and as got as a guide for consumers, and where. You know, we we've been following following it following into this world of you know we were creating purposes and territories and all of this you know this heavy brand thinking. There's some there's some categories and some brands that perhaps don't need all of that, right? And it'll be um, the next few years I think where that falls out to say, okay, I'm a brand now. Now how do I fit into this world and what do I need to do? That's a really rich discussion to be having. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks, Oscar. That's a great, great way to get rolling. So pivoting to Josh real quick. So, so Josh, uh, uh, when you think about kind of the predominant brand management philosophies, you know, that that uh, that, that we see these days. So what are some of the issues or, or, or problems that, that, that you might see with those? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I, I think one of the big problems at the moment is that a lot of these philosophies um, are, are really focused on trying to map and then replicate the the ideal, the properties of an ideal brand. So it's about kind of identifying what this uh, potentially mythical ideal brand, um, what properties it has, uh, whether those be, you know, fame, fluency, mental availability, 
difference, meaning, love beyond reason, whatever whatever it is. None of those are bad things to aspire to, but I think it's the wrong way to think about the brand management challenge to kind of hold up those ideal properties and and just kind of myopically focus on on trying to replicate them. And and I mean, I, one way I was thinking about it before the podcast, and I was thinking, you know, if you if you want to be a become a brilliant footballer um and for oscar and chris's benefit soccer player <laughs> you don't you yeah, don't kind of Josh. yeah no, no problem here to translate all day but you know you don't you don't um just kind of go oh, what what are the properties what what is it about those brilliant footballers that makes them so great i'm going to replicate those those properties no you, you kind of put in place a dynamic continuous training program that adjusts tests and learns you don't expect to reach perfection you're just trying to understand the game you're playing the competition how that game is changing um, and put in that that um, that training program and I think brand management is the same we should be looking for some principles a set of principles to govern dynamic the dynamic brand management process rather than looking for these fixed ideal traits that we want to try and replicate Okay. That's so interesting, Josh, because it's it's almost, you know, you've seen great footballers that then switch teams and then suddenly they're not as great anymore, right? Or some people who are average footballers to switch teams and then suddenly become really fantastic. So it is really about the dynamics between that player and the team, um, the stadium, right? The coach, all of them, how do they all fit together? And you'd, you'd almost be a little naive to say, this is a great footballer without thinking about the context that surrounds him or her. Yeah. So, Oscar, if you bring that back now that you and before we go back to Josh, because I'm super interested to hear what you think will be a better way. But 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 before that, Oscar, can you bring that back to brands? What you just said, and and do you think that uh, in measuring and evaluating brands, do brand owners and brand managers maybe miss a trick, or are they taking wrong turns? Or yeah, I I don't know if anyone's doing anything wrong. They might be doing things that were right 10 years ago, right? So I think that's the big change. And what's what's so hard now is you're never quite sure what to measure, right? You know, before you, okay, here's what, here's my equity measures, here's Mm -hmm. the things I need to put in place, here are the things I'm tracking against, right? And as Josh said, you have to have something static to measure against, right? And so I think it's the right approach, it's the right thinking, but just the context has changed into a world where you're never quite sure what you're measuring. Am I measuring likes on Instagram? Am I measuring followers? Am I measuring the intensity of conversation that's happening on Twitter? Am I measuring the excitement that people have in the streets when they see something activated, right? And those are things that we haven't always figured out how to include in in our measurement because they change so quickly. And I think that's the big, the big change right now. And, and that's why I think brand managers have a harder job than ever. Yeah, and Josh uh, and and Oscar, we're going to come back to that word context and exactly. change, uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in a big way in just a moment. So, uh, Josh, back to you real quick. So you, you said that uh, you know principles uh, are are increasingly important, maybe more so than sort of traits of this uh, mythical ideal brand, right? Um, so, c- can you go a little bit deeper on that? Talk to us about uh, you know what's a better way to think about brand management. Yeah, sure. And and I think the start point is this idea of, as you say, principles. And it's about realizing that what we're aspiring to is great brand management as a process rather than to build the perfect 
brand as a kind of you know philosophical outcome if you like and and to me um great brand management is primarily and very centrally about shaping people's expectations of your brand so we hear a lot in the business world and i i think rightly by the way we hear a lot about getting a deep understanding of your customers needs and their expectations and working tirelessly to deliver against those so jeff bezos is a big champion of this idea, right? He talks about thinking of, of um, Amazon as hosting a party and the customers are all guests at the party and we've got to be working tirelessly to just make every aspect of their experience just that little bit better. But I, I, I would challenge to say brand management doesn't actually start or stop there. There's another opportunity in brand management, which is not just to deliver against those expectations, but to shape expectations. So every time um, we communicate to consumers, every touch point we have with consumers um, and people is an opportunity for us to um, shape the expectations of what our brand is going to deliver. And then I think the key then is for the the brand marketing expression, that communication of, of what what the brand can do to be working in perfect harmony with the brand experience so that we're continually shaping brand expectations so that only our brand can meet those expectations. Working together through the brand marketing and the brand experience so that we're shaping expectations that only we can deliver against. That's the process. But but Josh, I like the word brand expectations. I believe it's, uh, it's an undervalued uh, word. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about the role of expectations for consumers and for brand management. Can you unpick that a little bit, that word? Yeah, you're right. It's a it it is a it's a broad word, and I mean it as a broad mm-hmm. term because I think one of the things that when I talk about expectations, I'm I'm talking about the combination of conscious and unconscious expectations. I'm talking about everything that the person brings into that brand experience, um, and so so that can be everything from recognizing the brand. So what do you expect it to look like? What colors, shapes, objects do you expect? Um, where you expect to find it? So, you know, being being primed to expect it in um, certain locations. And the brand manager should be managing all of these expectations through to this idea of, you know, maybe the more day-to-day use of it. How, how do I expect it to perform um, tangibly? What are my expectations about what's going to be good about using this brand? How am I going to feel using this brand? So yeah, I'm using it as a broad term to cover all of the conscious and unconscious expectations that people might have of the brand. And I, I think what's what's great about that term, Josh, is it, it it has the ability to flex a little bit, right? So ex, you could have zero expectations for a brand, which would be appropriate as well, right? If I'm looking for something to clean my oven with, you know, I, I don't need necessarily a, a purpose or, you know, brand values and hierarchies and verbal and visual identity. I just need that product to be on the shelf or on the website when I need it at the right place at the right time and I need it to work, right? So it, it helps calibrate a little bit the I think the overblownness that all brands had in the last few years where they were overbuilding a lot of things and now the expectation is a key piece. And can, can you say that by using would expectations change, right? They they change by experience that the people have and then brand expression. So does the word expectation make this a more dynamic model uh, than the more static model that you were talking about earlier, Josh? Is that the key to making it more dynamic? That, that I do see that as key, and and I actually 
without going too much down a, a kind of technical rabbit hole, like I see this as connecting to a lot of modern neuroscience, which actually talks about all of human cognition and processing as being driven by expectations. And therefore, to your point now, it's an entirely dynamic process. People are constantly, their minds and brains consciously and unconsciously generating expectations about what their next experience, what their next visual experience, what their next physical experience is going to be like. And the, the reason it's dynamic is that then gets error corrected by reality. <laughs> you know, yes. If that experience isn't quite what you expect, then you know, the brain adjusts. The model in your mind, what, what the neuroscientists call the generative model, changes and your expectations next time will be different. So it absolutely is a dynamic process and it's affected by what the brand managers do, but also by the broader context. Very good. And Josh, I, I think you got the balance just right there before you got into, into that rabbit hole. You know, that was good. I sensed you were about to go maybe one layer deeper than my brain could go with you. So thank you for yeah. stopping short. <laughs> that was great. That was awesome, man. So, hey, Oscar, earlier you talked about uh, the importance of, of context, um, you know, vis-a-vis -vis brand management. Can, can we circle back to that? Yeah. What were you getting at there? The shift that we've seen is that there's just so many more contexts, right? So if you were a brand manager 20 years ago, you had a couple of contexts. You know, someone was sitting in front of the TV and you an ad came on or you saw a representation of your product or your brand in a magazine or they were, you know, at the store in front of a shelf. Those are kind of the two contexts you had right now. You have things like, well, I was in a restaurant on my phone, strolling through Instagram with three friends, mind you, but we weren't saying anything. Um, but then I saw something interesting that I asked her about, and she talked about this brand that she knew. So you have all of these new different contexts that are emerging that as a brand manager, you need to think about. And, and how do I influence that moment, right? Or how do I influence things like that moment where people are sitting together, scrolling through Instagram, you know, on the train, for example, right? And yeah. and I think that's that that multiplicity, that you know, infinite number of situations and contexts is is what shapes your perception of a brand, right? And that's much harder for a brand manager to control because I have I don't know when people are touching or feeling or seeing or interacting with my brand, or I don't know if they even are. And I, and yeah. I think that's that's the challenge, right? It used to be a well, while if I put my ad on TV, I know that you know forty percent of Americans will see it, right? Now. I don't know. And and how do we build something in a world with a lot of these unknowns? And that's the, that's the challenge. If I can turn then to our chief chief analytics officer <laughs> to say, hey, Josh, is there a way to start to categorize you know, the, these many contextual influences to start to break that challenge down a little bit? Any, any advice? Yeah, well, I, I I I love the way Oscar was talking about it, and I agree. It's it's such a complex uh, complex environment for us to get our heads around. I, I I like to try and categorize it into two big buckets: um, the kind of societal context, which would be the broader cultural, economic. Um, it would include the the ethical and moral expectations that people have about how brands should behave and what they should yeah. stand for. So that's the societal context, and then the behavioral context, which are just the the individual. Um, decision-making moments, the needs and occasions, the immediate context in which individual consumers are, are making their brand decisions. And both of those can be very fluid and changing very fast or not. You know, you can be in a category where, where both are, are relatively static, but either can happen. Can that stuff be measured? 
the 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 context stuff yes yeah. yes absolutely but let, let's let's be honest it's a challenge right so um it's about how we use that there's a wealth of data more and more data that taps into these um different sets of context and yeah. it's about how we use that data make sense of it structure it and yeah there's a lot of analytics that can help mm-hmm. us with that i'm glad i'm glad you asked josh that because once i said it then i was like oh no i hope he doesn't ask me how to measure By the way, I do like the way, Josh, you you split it in sort of society or kind of external context, you know, things like climate change uh, um, uh, and and sort of internal or more behavioral context where people. But I also get a feel that it gets a little bit more complicated because it's not a one size fits all. I can see how different levels of societal or behavioral context matters differently for different brands or different categories. So while I think you can measure it, it also you need to make sure that it's not a one-size-fits-all measurement system that you build. Hundred percent agree with that, and and that's why you know let's. I think it's really important to acknowledge that it's a difficult thing to to, to measure and and get away from the idea of trying to create a, a sort of perfect pre-fitting framework for measuring context. Let's acknowledge that it's dynamic, difficult, and varies um, culture to culture, society to society, brand to brand, category to category, and time to time. <laughs> when Dara came out with those words, you know, not one size fits all. I thought the same thing. I went back to your introductory mm-hmm. comment about well, if we we try to assess every brand on the same set of success criteria we're doing everybody a disservice there so that, that that's great so so uh maybe uh, oscar you go first but uh you know taking into account everything that, that we've discussed so far you know what are one or two things that, that brand managers should be doing differently these days that's uh this isn't going to be a great answer if you're a brand manager but i think you need to work a lot harder <laughs> you need to be yeah. on 24 hours a day because you never know when something's going to happen with your brand with um, the context that it sits in um, it, we we used to work with clients that said well here's my marketing calendar for the year right we're gonna say and, and every trigger every month every holiday we push the buttons and it happens that doesn't exist anymore right you could have it at any one moment you know someone pop up in the Olympics and say something about your brand that is a little bit upsetting and you, you're there you know in the middle of the night adjusting and I think by the same token yeah. your your measurement platform and your measurement processes need to, to account for that so I think for for brand managers the biggest thing is how do you start building a, a business a practice in which you are constantly on measuring adjusting fixing um, pivoting changing and that's not easy right it's a, to, to go back to the chef thing it's almost like you're a chef and you're watching your 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 creation and you're adjusting you're putting more salts you're putting in more more yeah, flour to make it thicker and and as it changes right every time you make the dish it's slightly different but how, how are you constantly um doing that and do you have the processes and the team and the structure in place to be able to do that i think it's a rethink we need to to consider i like the way you say that oscar it's almost the end of an era for lazy marketeers like you have <laughs> your you have your brand equity model that we've you know, yeah. taught in university, you know, you have the emotional attributes, your functional attributes, you take a weighted efforts and you compare yourself to the competition and that's what it is, right? Um, and basically, if I listen to you well, it is like work harder or maybe even think harder and create that dish that fits your category, that fits your brand. Um, so I like the way you're you're phrasing it. Uh, and, and, and Josh, of course, same question for you. What is the what do you think is the the one or maybe two things that you think brand managers should do differently based on this discussion that we're having in this sort of more dynamic uh, brand management model that you were talking about, Josh? 
Yeah, well, well, let me see if I can make brand management seem less overwhelming and, and like a simpler task, because I, I agree with everything that, that's just been said. But at the same time, I think a couple of things that I think we can afford to spend less time building brand onions, brand houses, um, introspecting about what the ideal brand looks like, which opens up some more time for, um, for for thinking about some of the things that Oscar was talking about. And And again, I would bring it back to expectations. I think there's a way of simplifying all of that to say, what we're trying to do is build the right set of expectations amongst potential customers so they find our brand easy to find, easy to recognize, easy to choose, but also so that we're shaping expectations, pointing those expectations of what our product and service does brilliantly so that we'll actually enhance their experience, consumers' experience of our products and services. So just spend your time thinking about what are those expectations you want to set for consumers to mean they'll choose you and enjoy you even more. That's excellent, Josh. You're giving me flashbacks to, to my old brand management days. I'll never forget yes. sitting down with an agency that presented me with a brand Parthenon. So a house wasn't enough, Josh. We needed a Parthenon. Um, <laughs> with There were words on every single column, and this was a big Parthenon. <laughs> I, I remember, yeah, we had all sorts of stuff, like, you know, you would start an awareness consideration trial, and then the top would always be, you know, loyalty, love, passion, lust. Yeah. Like and, and it's such a flexible model. You just add more pillars to it, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. All right, All right. So, so now now that we've acknowledged the houses, the Parthenons, the onions, now we're going to boil it down to something really simple, right? Uh, we'll apply our own principles. So, so Josh, then Oscar, one thing that you want our listeners to, to remember from, from what you've shared here. Josh, do you mind going first? Yeah, well, I kind of hope I'll sound like a scratched record. So I hope this is um, repeating the, the core message that I've been giving throughout, which is um, the key is to focus on making sure that you're delivering the right set of expectations so that the expectations you create works in perfect harmony with the brand experience that you deliver so that only your brand can meet expectations that your customer base have. Excellent. And Josh? And Oscar. And, and Oscar? Oscar. <laughs> Every time I follow Josh, it's tough. I, I, I think the big thing brand managers need to think of and with, uh, to the same theme is that it's not up to you. Like, let it go a little bit, right? We're, we're causing you a lot of angst right now by saying you can't do all these things anymore. Well, let, let it go, as Frozen would say. Um, it, it's, it's not completely up to you. It's sometimes out of your hands and the context that's around you. And, and so it's, you need to be comfortable with that and 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 adjust accordingly because you're, you're going to drive yourself crazy. There's no way you can monitor all of those aspects and changes. And and as I said, it could it could be an athlete talking about your brand at the Olympics. It's not in your hands, and so sometimes it's okay to be a little reactive. But mm -hmm. I think you need to be just that. You need to be both proactive and and reactive. This is this is awesome. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you, Josh. I. I think it was super interesting. We need to. We're getting to the end of the uh, of the podcast, so I, you know, even though we can talk about this for 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 a long time, but we need to, you know, try to put an end to it. So, Oscar, Josh, thank you. I thought it was a super inspiring conversation on uh, Indian curry, fish burgers, brand management, <laughs> brand measurement, <laughs> brand expectations, <laughs> brand context. Uh, super interesting, and uh, and I'm sure that uh, listeners may have more questions or you know 
know, like to dive into this in, in more detail. Liz, you can always get in touch with Josh, with Oscar or with Chris or me uh, to talk about this topic on getting it right. One word, getting it right at Ipsos.com. Um, so that's it. Uh, that's the end of um, the first episode of our third series, Getting It Right, our brand strategy podcast. Um, I seriously hope that the listeners uh, uh, enjoyed it as much as, as I did, and I'm sure that Chris did as well. Going forward, uh, every two weeks we have a podcast. We have more amazing speakers, uh, more amazing insights this season for you. Uh, every two weeks we're, we're live with innovative brand topics uh, and other inspiring guests or guests. Um, and that's it. Thank you for tuning in today. And we look forward to catching you on our next episode. Thank you very much. And see you in our next episode.